Grace is not meaning that you can do whatever you want. Grace is sets you free from sin. Grace has the power to set you free from sin. That's the power of grace. So if you're not getting set free from sin, you've got to say, Lord, I need your grace. I need more of your grace. Lord, convict me. Help me to, help me to repent of this evil. Help me to repent of this evil that's in my heart that draws me into sin all the time. And is not that the true gospel? Isn't that the gospel that was preached? And then that's why Jesus, uh, Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the gospel. You're quickly deserting it. You think that all these other things are necessary. And then to other churches, Paul is saying, you're free from sin, but you're not free to sin. He's continually saying, guys, you know, you're committing sins that are worse than even the pagans. And that's because of grace was misunderstood even back then. But we're at an epidemic. We're in an epidemic of it now. You're going to reap what you sow. And it says here, the one who sows to please the sinful nature, if you sow to please your sinful nature, from that nature, guess what you're going to reap? Destruction. Guys, why aren't people preaching this? There are people, I know people who do preach this, but why aren't, isn't every minister of the gospel preaching this? Because if you let people continue to sow to the sinful nature, you could lose your whole congregation and you yourself will get thrown in there with them for teaching it. If you don't stand against the sin nature, if you don't teach people to resist the sin nature, it says here you will... You know, a man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction, eternal destruction. And you know, the only thing really, or one of the, one of the few things that is different about Christianity to every other religion, is we have true salvation in the name of Christ. And so we boast salvation in the risen Lord. Risen Lord. But if we mess up the salvational doctrine... We're as good as unsaved like anyone else. We can't mess this up. We've got one life, we've got to get it right. And it says you can't reap, or you can't sow to the sinful nature because you'll reap from that. You'll reap destruction. And people reap destruction in this life. Who knows that? If you continually take drugs and you continually take drugs, you can't resist drugs. You just keeps on taking them week in, week out, month in, month out, and you get on the heart of drugs. Who knows that destroys lives? You reap destruction. If you're a man with a house and a family, eventually you lose your, your family. You eventually you lose your house. You'd lose your car. You lose your job. You lose everything because you just keep on sowing to that sinful nature, sowing to the sinful nature, and the next thing you know, you wake up on some dirty old mattress in the basement somewhere with a needle hanging out your arm. If you sow to the sinful nature, you will reap destruction, but eternally. Eternally. So what do we do? We repent. We turn away. We live for Christ and Him alone. Live for him and him alone. We crucify the flesh with its lusts and its desires and everything that causes us to want to go that way, we resist it with everything within us. By the power of the Spirit. When I say everything within us, by the power of the Spirit. But it's a, it's, it's a, a partnership. We've got to obey the, 
promptings of the Spirit, or else we can't can't resist it. Does it make sense? This is life and death. This is life and death. We've got to get it right. And not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So what he's saying is we don't have to keep sacrificing all these cows and, and, and whatever they were sacrificing, the goats and the, the bulls and the calves and, and, and so on. Don't have to keep doing that. Don't have to keep observing special days and months and seasons and years. You don't have to keep doing that. You don't have to observe all those other requirements of the law. But you're still under the righteous requirements of the law. Don't, don't think that's get thrown in there. You don't throw righteousness out the window. Because if we throw righteousness out, guess what? Christians can become the most sinful people on earth. If you throw righteousness out with all those other laws and if you preach righteousness and get called a legalist because you preach righteousness, so you throw righteousness out, Christians would become the most sinful people on the face of the earth. Would that be true? And Paul even said to the Corinthians, that was the case. We're still under the righteous, we're still under righteousness. Christians, like I said once before, Christians can't just get in a car and drive at 100 mile an hour down a 60 kilometer zone. And then the cop pulls them over and says, and you, you can't say to him, hey mate, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm not under the law. I can do what I want. I can drive as fast as I want. I'm not under the law. Is that what it means? Does that mean you're not under the law so you can murder now? Because murder is a sin, just as drug taking is a sin, just as um, alcoholism is a sin, just as um, homosexuality, homosexuality is a sin, just as adultery is a sin, just as every other sin. Does that mean that we, we can now commit those terrible things because we're not under the law? Is that what it means? But this is what is getting taught. And you know why I keep teaching it? It's, or to keep reconfirming it because, you know, some of us, how many years did we sit under the opposite teaching? You know? Some of us were sitting under this, you know, a good bulk of our Christian life. We've sat under it. So I think if you've sat under years of the opposite, you'll need a few months, maybe a few years of the opposite teaching until everywhere you look in the scriptures, you see it. talked to uh, Joe Schimmel I think it was this week or was it last week? Bill you remember was it? It was last week yeah not the week gone the week before that I got on the phone with him and finally managed to catch up with him and, and the annoying thing was I had a student booked in at one o'clock and I started speaking to him about 20 past 12 and speaking to Joe one topic can take 25 minutes so it's uh so one o'clock was right there and I had to basically cut in and say, Joe, I've got to go. So, but it was an incredible conversation. But there was one thing that stuck out to me and it's so obvious, it was like, you know, come on, Rob, how, can, how did you not see it? I, I have seen it in the past and I understood it, but it's just when we read this scripture, if we go to Romans 8, 3b to 4, because we were talking about this New Testament survey that I've been doing. And Romans 8, 3b, 
And it says, and so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. And we were talking about the righteous requirements, and, and I've been speaking about this for this whole survey. The righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. What that, and then Joe said to me, the moral, or moral part of the law, we're, we're still, in a sense, we must fulfill the moral component of the law. Does that make sense? That the law, in a, it, to, a, to a Jew, the law wasn't just moral requirements. It was ceremonial requirements, sacrificial requirements. It had a lot of other things. You know, if you have skin diseases, there's a whole th- bunch of laws in relation to that. There was laws in every area, and it became nearly impossible to fulfill that law because it was so heavy upon the Jews that they could not possibly do it all. It was massive. When, when Paul came along, Paul said, you know, all that other stuff, all those, mor- um, all those uh, requirements and ceremonial requirements, you're not under that anymore. But the moral requirements or the righteous requirements of the law must be fully met by a Christian. And then the next question is, well, how do we possibly do that? How do we possibly fulfill even those because those alone are heavy. That means you've got to be sinless. And only one man's ever been sinless. Amen. Only Jesus Christ. You don't, you, you don't try to fulfill the law in your own power and strength. It must be by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why the Holy Spirit came, to lead us into all truth, to lead us according to this so that we may fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. So in, in saying that, what we, what we are now understand from the law is most of that law we don't have to follow, but the moral requirements we do. That's why the moral requirements of the law keep getting brought up in Scripture, keep getting repeatedly expanded on or explained and listed. Moral uh, or unrighteous things that we do, sinful activities that we do, keep continually getting listed in the scriptures, don't they? And, and that's so that we can say, okay, well, I shouldn't be doing that, 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 that. And even though it's an obvious, it's not so obvious at the same time. So this is the element of the, the teaching of salvation and the teaching of grace that is completely forgotten these days. And... I think it's a dangerous doctrine to forget to bring up the righteous requirements of the law must be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. We're not to live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Amen. All right, so Galatians 1, 3 to 9. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now get that, to rescue us from the present evil age. How does he rescue us from the present evil age? The Spirit of God comes upon us, makes makes us realize what sin is, and helps us by the power of the Spirit to avoid sin 
with everything within us. doesn't mean we don't fall sometimes, but we have the, 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 the gift of repentance to repent. But he came to rescue us, to bring us out of the world. We're no longer part of the world. We've got to become separate, to separate us, to bring us out, to make us a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. That's what he came to do. That, that's grace, guys. That's grace. That's the power of grace to rescue us and bring us out of the world. So to rescue us from our sins, or sorry, gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then it says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And later on, we find out that they're trying to say, unless you get circumcised, you won't be saved, and they're bringing all these legalistic requirements. So he's coming against legalism in that form, but then he confirms the righteous requirements of the law. Later in Galatians, I'm going to read it to you. He does not depart from the teachings of Romans. He still comes and teaches that the righteous requirements of the law must be fully met um, and that that is in fact grace grace is not meaning that you can do whatever you want grace is sets you free from sin grace has the power to set you free from sin that's the power of grace so if you're not getting set free from sin you've got to say lord i need your grace I need more of your grace. Lord, convict me. Help me, to, help me to repent of this evil. Help me to repent of this evil that's in my heart that draws me into sin all the time. And is not that the true gospel? Isn't that the gospel that was preached? And then that's why Jesus, uh, Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the gospel. You're quickly deserting it. You think that all these other things are necessary. And then to other churches, Paul is saying, you know, basically, you're free from sin, but you're not free to sin. He's continually saying, guys, you know, you're committing sins that are worse than even the pagans. And that's because of grace was misunderstood even back then. But we're at an epidemic. We're in an epidemic of it now. Andy prayed about it today in, in the pre-service uh, prayer meeting. Prayed that the churches would would start to see this and start to preach against sin. And isn't that what the church has always preached against? Why has it been that we've become so lax that we allow it to continue and we don't even bring up the word sin? I've been in churches where they don't even bring the... I didn't hear in eight months the word sin brought up, except in jest. The word hell never brought up. The word repentance never brought up, except in jest as well. And I'm like... Why are you deserting the wording that, that was for thousands of years have been perfect wording? Why are, we, why are we going away from that? So, now listen to this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. Now, those words are heavy. Because if you're getting a preaching... If you're receiving a teaching that is giving you free reign, that you don't have to be concerned with sin, Jesus died to cover that. No matter how much you sin, 
don't worry, you can never lose your salvation. If you're getting taught that, the person who's teaching you that could get eternally condemned because it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. So it's heavy, and it's heavy to believe it because if you believe it, guess what? You find it easy to partake in sin, easy to live in sin. You know? How hard is it? You know, I'm sure everyone here can testify. I preach about this quite often. And still, who struggles with this in nature? And you're hearing it every weekend or every second weekend or whatever. But what about the people that never, never hear it? What about the Christians that don't hear this teaching and they don't, don't even think twice about getting drunk? Or don't think twice about getting involved in drugs again or watching pornography. Or don't think twice about taking, meeting someone in a bar and taking them home and sleeping with them. What about them? What about those Christians that believe that grace will cover that? I'll tell you what, unrepented sin is unrepented sin. What I mean by that is, it's not covered by God. You must repent. Unless you repent, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The scriptures are really plain and clear. Unless you repent, unless you turn, unless you turn away from sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what it's saying. Repentance means turning away from, saying, no, I will not do it any longer. Turning away from sin and living for Christ with all your heart. If we don't live for Christ with all our heart, guess what? If we don't give, up, give Christ all our heart, we slip back into sin. It seems to be, you know, Christians, and I'm sure everyone here could probably put their hand up, we, we, we could be referred to as yo-yo Christians. Into sin, out of sin, into sin, out of sin. <laughs> you know, should that be? It shouldn't be. We should be above that. And the only way is to fully devote fully committed, living for him with everything. That's why Paul said, you know, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified. I've crucified myself. I'm with Christ now. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's his attitude. Paul was no more. Paul was no more in that re reference. People go, oh, man, he loses, you know, his own identity. Hey, who, wants, who would rather go to hell with your own identity or go to heaven being in Christ and having the identity of Christ in you? Christ in me, the hope of glory. Galatians 1, 3, 9, it says, But even if we are an angel, this is verse 8, but even if we are an angel, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. And then he backs it up, as we've already said, so now I say again, why? Just to confirm it. If anybody's preaching to you a gospel, then other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Okay, let's go to Galatians 2.15. So it's only just a bit for Galatians 2.15. Now this will get a little bit, um, could get a little bit heavy, but I'm going to try to make it really simple for you. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, so he's talking to the Jewish Christians, 
We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So what he's saying is we don't have to keep sacrificing all these cows and, and, and whatever they were sacrificing, the goats and the, the bulls and the calves and, and, and so on. Don't have to keep doing that. Don't have to keep observing special days and months and seasons and years. You don't have to keep doing that. You don't have to observe all those other requirements of the law, but you're still under the righteous requirements of the law. Don't, don't think that's get thrown in there. You don't throw righteousness out the window. Because if we throw righteousness out, guess what? Christians can become the most sinful people on earth. If you throw righteousness out with all those other laws and if you preach righteousness and get called legalist because you preach righteousness, so you throw righteousness out, Christians would become the most sinful people on the face of the earth. Would that be true? And Paul even said to the Corinthians, that was the case. We're still under the righteous, we're still under righteousness. Christians, like I said once before, Christians can't just get in a car and drive at 100 mile an hour down a 60 kilometer zone. And then the cop pulls them over and says, and you, you can't say to him, hey mate, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm not under the law. I can do what I want. I can drive as fast as I want, not under the law. Is that what it means? Does that mean you're not under the law so you can murder now? Because murder is a sin, just as drug taking is a sin, just as um, alcoholism is a sin, just as um, homosexuality, homosexuality is a sin, just as adultery is a sin, just as every other sin. Does that mean that we, we can now commit those terrible things because we're not under the law? Is that what it means? But this is what is getting taught. And you know why I keep teaching it, as, or to keep reconfirming it, because, you know, some of us, how many years did we sit under the opposite teaching? You know, some of us were sitting under this, you know, a good bulk of our Christian life, we've sat under it. So I think if you've sat under years of the opposite, you'll need a few months, maybe a few years of the opposite teaching until everywhere you look in the scriptures, you see it, you know? So 15 to 21, so now that man is not justified, this is verse 16, know that a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ, so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified. And that's all the ceremonial stuff and circumcision and you know, all that stuff. If, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, so if you, as you seek to be justified in Jesus Christ, you realize I'm a sinner, isn't that what it's all about? As you seek Jesus, as the closer you get to Jesus, guess what? The more you reveal, he reveals your sin to you. He makes you repentful. He makes you want to clean up your act. So if while we seek to be justified in Christ becomes evident, see it's evident, absolutely evident. If you don't think you sin, then you're not close enough to Jesus. Get closer to Jesus and then you start seeing little sins that you never even realized you were committing. 
evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. So it's me. I rebuild it. If I rebuild the sinful life that Jesus died to forgive me of and to help me repent of, and we repented of it, we said, I repent of living that life, and then I go back and I live it again, I've rebuilt it. Doesn't mean Christ promotes sin. Doesn't mean that you're covered by grace either. Means you need to get back under grace. You need to get back under Christ. You need to give your life back. You've got to turn away and repent and give it up for good and say, you're everything. I no longer live. I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. Here it is. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I do not set aside the grace of God. I don't set it aside, meaning he doesn't set it aside and then try to do all the right things by himself and live by a ceremonial code, and he doesn't set aside the the grace of God and live in sin. He doesn't set it aside. He stays under grace. Does that make sense? The reason I bring it up and I keep bringing it up is because we are living in an age of hyper-grace. You know? And I've said this many times. When Andy said to Sharon, I'm going to find a church that preaches against sin and preaches holiness and preaches about hell, and Sharon laughed and said, good luck. Where is one? So now that you've got one and you've mentioned that story to me, I preach on it more than ever. (laughs) I think it's important. Don't you think it's important? Who would want to die one day believing they're in Christ and wake up in hell? And you wake up in hell and go, how come I'm here? And you've believed that you could live your sinful life every day and never lose your salvation and you end up in hell. You know what the first thing you'll say to God? I, I, didn't be- I only believed this because of what my preacher was preaching to me. And then he says, well, why didn't you look into the scriptures for yourself? Why didn't you search the scriptures and realize that your minister was wrong teaching you that? You're responsible for your own life. We've got to get it right. Jesus wants a holy, spotless bride, a holy people, a royal priesthood. You know, that's, that's, that's heavy. That's what he wants. And it's not like, you know, a holy priest and that's me and everyone else can be whatever they want. You're all priests of God. You're all priests and priestesses of God. You're all meant to be holy in the sight of God. So you've got to ask God to completely, uh, continually show you what you need to change in order to correct it. Now let's go to 3.10 Galatians. 3.10 and it says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. 
So he's talking again about ceremonial laws, the laws that really no one could live up to, you know, that the yoke was so heavy and Paul said, you know, why are we trying to put the Gentiles under a yoke that we ourselves couldn't carry? Do you remember that part in the book of Acts? Why are we trying to do this to them? He says, all who live by on, rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Man, that would have been hard. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The righteous live by that. And we live by that because we know that God is making us righteous as we continue to live by faith in him. And if you're living an unrighteous life, it's because you're not living by faith in him. You're not living according to what he calls you to. You've turned back to your old ways. And he doesn't want that for his people. He wants a holy people. That's what he keeps calling us to. So cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ, so the man who does these ceremonial things must live by them, but they've got to fulfill the whole thing, and that's near impossible. So Jesus came to make it easier. Don't worry about all those things. Just be righteous before me. If you sin, you don't need a pigeon, or you don't need a goat to sacrifice, and you don't need to find a priest to do it for you and lay it on the altar. Just come to my altar, repent, and I'll see your tears, and I'll forgive you. And I'll cast that sin as far as the east is from the west, and I will never, ever hold it against you again. And you can be guaranteed that my word is my word, and if I say that I'll cast your sin as far as the east is from the west, it will be done. But don't you go resurrecting it yourself. Don't bring it back, and don't keep feeling remorse for it. Don't keep feeling um, that you're a no-good, dirty, rotten scoundrel all the time. Know that my word is my word, and you are healed. Your sin is forgiven and you can live a righteous life now without feeling condemned. You know, any Christian, if, if a Christian comes to me and I've had some say, you know, when I listen to you preach, I feel condemned. I say, well, that it's not called condemn, condemnation to a Christian. It's called conviction. Conviction, it means you need to get right with God. If you're feeling something stirring, don't blame the pastor who preaches something that makes you get stirred to live a righteous life. Don't. Don't condemn the pastor because he makes you, by the Spirit of God, get so stirred up that you just realize, I have to change. And don't resent some, um, that call to change. Don't resent that call, that conviction that makes you see your sin and see your life the way it is before God. Turn to him and say, God, I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm going to give it all up. I'm going to give it all up now. I'm going to live for you completely. Amen. 3.10, if I finish that one, 3.10 to 14. Ah, listen to this. He redeemed us. This is verse 14 of chapter 3. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise 
of the Spirit. Now, you're gonna, um, there's another verse I'm going to read about that. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham, so all those beautiful blessings that were given to Abraham are as good as given to you, are as good as given to you personally. They might come to the Gentiles. Are we all Gentiles here or is anyone Jewish? I think we don't have any Jews in this church. I want some Jews in the church. We need some Jews. It'd be good to have some Jewish people. Matthew, you knew a few Jewish people. Yeah. You need to go and convert them first, don't you? Yeah. So, so those blessings that were given to Abraham will come, and those promises would come to us. Galatians 3.21, and it says, Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Is the law opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law locked up until faith should be revealed. So before we turned to Christ, we were prisoners of the law. So the law was put in charge, and I believe he's probably talking to the Jews in relation to that, because the Jews were prisoners to the law. The Gentiles weren't under the law, but they were a law unto themselves. They all knew right from wrong, because it's written on the tablets of your heart. We all know right from wrong. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. And that's what the law, uh, the ceremonial laws, was a, was a shadow of Jesus Christ. And there's people that have done studies on all those elements of the ceremonial law and, and how it all reflects on Christ. It's incredible. You should, should look up a few videos on YouTube about that because it's, it's pretty impressive. But the, so, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith, justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law, those elements of the law. And so keep going. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You're all sons of God and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You've been clothed. Therefore, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you, you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one in him. There's no, God is no respecter of persons. We are all one in Christ. So if you belong to Christ, and this is what I love, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Isn't that incredible? And heirs according to the promise. Guys, you are Abraham's seed directly. Okay, so that's 3 to 21 to 29. Let's go to 4, 4. 4 verse 4, and it says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. So during the ceremonial you know, uh, requirements of the law were in place, were still active in Israel. To redeem those under 
law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you can call him Abba, meaning Daddy. You can call him your Daddy. If you don't like saying Daddy, say Dad. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. An heir according to the promises. Isn't that incredible? He's made you an heir of the kingdom. That means we have an inheritance waiting. And you know what? We might have heard this. How many times have you heard this in your Christian walk? Many, many times. You know, we're heirs of the promise. But when you get to heaven and God shows you what you actually inherit, it's going to blow your mind. You imagine if you befriended a little old lady and for many years you looked after her and that, and, then, and she was just filthy rich, just, and you didn't know. Say she lived in humble means, but she was filthy rich, and she just left you her whole estate. And you realize she owns properties everywhere, and she's got farms and vineyards, and she just owns whole streets of King William Street and all this sort of stuff. And you're just like, and she left it all to you. Would that be a pretty astounding blessing? Wouldn't that be an astounding blessing? And you're an heir of that. Well, what we've got coming in heaven makes that look like nothing. Look like nothing. When you see it, just the fact that we can live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever die, that alone, that's just going to blow my mind. You know, but what else God has for you will astound you. So start eagerly, you know, living for him with all your heart as if, you know, if just say someone said, if you live uh, according to these means and, and live like that for 20 years, then you're going to inherit all this and you've got this massive estate. Would that make you live according to those means for the next 20 years so that you can inherit everything? Well, that's what God's saying. Live according to my righteous requirements. Live according to the righteous requirements of the laws that they may be fully met in you and then you will inherit all this. And if you sin, repent. Simple as that. If you sin, repent. It's so obvious and so doable. If you slip up, repent and say, God, forgive me and be sincere. Don't just deliberately slip up every day and then repent. If you accidentally slip up one day, please, Lord, forgive me and help me now to clean my life up. Now, eventually, the more you practice righteous living, the easier it becomes. Amen? Anything that you practice habitually gets easier with time. You know, Ricardo, you play the drums. If you do it every day, how good do you get? You get better and better and better, don't you? Matthew, when you practice every day? <laughs> he doesn't know what that feels like. <laughs> He's a good keyboarder, so isn't he? He's great. Very proud of Matthew. All right, so where, where are we up to? Three, was that four? Verse seven is, so you are no longer slaves but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Verse eight, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, Let's go back on that. When you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. When you don't, when you don't serve Jesus Christ, you're going to serve something or someone. A lot of people serve their hobbies. They serve their interests. A lot of people 
um, you know, worship rock stars and, and, you know, Hollywood stars and, and all this sort of stuff. They're not gods. They, they think they're gods. If you, hear, if you ever look at some of those videos that uncover the mindset of some of those people in those uh, situations, they actually do believe they're gods. And wouldn't you, if you're told you are a god and then everywhere you go, people just chase you and idolize you like you're something, you know, super special, you would start to believe you're a god, you know. But they're deceived. They're totally deceived. So if you, when you don't know Jesus, that's who you look to. You look to those things. And, but, so, but now that you know God or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back? This is verse 9. How is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again you are observing special days and months and seasons and years i fear for you that somehow i've wasted my efforts on you so what he's saying and keep this in mind the early christians of the early church um, were accused of um, especially the jewish the jewish christians they were accused of uh, of being uh, heretics, I suppose, because they didn't observe a Sabbath any longer. They weren't observing all the special seasons in the years that the Jews would observe. And uh, they, they would observe the Passover, but in honor of Christ, but they didn't observe all the other things. And so Paul's saying to them, you're observing special days. What's a special day that that's regularly observed by the Jews. The Sabbath, right? That's a day, and it's every single week. So they were observing the Sabbath every... And seasons and months and years. And he says, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts, that you don't get it, that we're not under that anymore. We're not under that. Jesus Christ is now our Sabbath. He's our Sabbath rest. We rest in Christ now. It's not about doing no work on a specific day. And I'll tell you what, if we, if we try to justify ourselves by doing no work on a special day and if we can't do it, then we're condemned in a sense because then we have to obey the law. If <clears throat> How hard is it to do no work on, say, a Saturday every week? Has anyone ever tried when you used to think that that's what you have to do? When I was an early Christian, I used to, every Saturday, do no work. But I would always end up doing something. You know, I'd go in and put some toast in the toaster and then I'd be thinking, did I just work? And now, you know, I'd, I'd pick my dish up and put it in the sink. Hang on. Is that work? I won't wash them because I was a single guy. I never washed them. I did once a week or something. Every dish had to be gone from my cupboards before I'd wash them. <laughs> Vina used, when, when we first started dating... Vini, every time she'd walk into the unit, because I used to teach her piano. Actually, it was before we were dating, because I was teaching you piano. And uh, every time she rocked up to my unit, I'd be there with soap suds this high. <laughs> I'll be with you in a second. And she used to think, oh, what a wonderful domesticated guy. There's <laughs> yeah. a, a good impression. But she didn't realize the last time I did that was the week before. When <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, you know, how hard is it to obey th that whole thing, you know? Jews go so far as they, they put, turn all their lights on the night before because they think if they uh, flick on a light that they've done some work. 
And then you've got to think, you know, well, should I even walk around? Should I pick up the phone? Is that a work? You know, how far are we going to go and where are we going to draw the line? There's a, yeah, but because they have to give them that one. Well, you, you're allowed to walk a few metres per day or something. But it's ridiculous. Like, where does it end when you start trying to observe the law? And that's the Seventh-day Adventists have gone and put themselves in an inextricable snare. They all feel condemned every Sabbath. And what about, they, they only, they do a church service on a Saturday. Imagine if, if, I, if I was a Seventh-day Adventist and I hired this hall and I had to cart all this gear in every Saturday morning, I tell you what, that's hard work. You know, lifting up the pulpit and carrying it in here in the early hours of the morning to set this church up. I would be feeling condemned as a Seventh-day Adventist. I would think, I'm working, <laughs> you know. Jesus was always accused of working on the Sabbath and so were all the early disciples. So it's not about that. Do you know how many Christians still to this day are coming up to me, are we, do you know, do you obey the Sabbath? I get an email, do you obey the Sabbath? And I'm like, oh, here we go. If I, if I don't obey the Sabbath, I'm condemned. You're a false, you know, you're a harlot church, part of the harlot church. That's what the Seventh-day Adventists say. To all those that don't obey the Sabbath, they're part of the harlot church. And I'm like, really, you know, just because I don't agree with that doctrine? But you're adding that in. You're bringing that in. You're saying you're not under any other law except that law. And if you don't obey that law, you're condemned. And that's what Paul stood against. They started to preach about circumcision. Unless you're circumcised, you will not be saved. At Seventh-day Adventist, unless you obey the Sabbath, you will not be saved. But that's not it. We're, we rest in Christ even when we work. Because our, you know, our labor is not in vain. We just, if we labor on a Saturday, it's a blessing because we just rest in Christ. And he gives us the strength to continue. You know, by the way, I believe in having a day's rest. That doesn't mean you can't make dinner doesn't mean you can't go for a nice long stroll on the beach. doesn't mean you can't turn your lights on. It just means give your body a rest. You know, if there's a day you can do it on a Saturday because you can't Sunday morning. But if you, if you can on a Saturday, you know, have a rest. You know, give your body a rest. They've done studies. People that work seven days a week, seven days a week, seven days a week burn themselves out very quickly. You know, there's a lot of health farms. I remember researching it. All these health farms set up that the CEOs and stuff are just sent there after they just have complete collapse because they've just non-stop, 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 and then they're just sent to these farms and they're given like four to six to eight weeks, and all they do is just, you know, get massages every day and lays around beside a pool and whatever else and just completely recover. But you don't want to get to that point if you can. Get to bed early, that's another way, great way of getting rest, you know. We've been getting to bed 9.30, haven't we? Some nights, 9.30, 10, and we used to be 12 o'clock and trying to get up at 6. It was a shocking cycle. You couldn't do that, could you, Lauren? <laughs> Don't ring Lauren after 7.30 at night. You'll get her answering service for sure. <laughs> Galatians 5. I'm nearly there. I'm just going to sort of speed through the remaining scriptures. 5, 1, and it said, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
Mark my words, and get this, that slavery is not slavery to doing what is right. It's not slavery to obeying the moral requirements of the law. That's not slavery. That's just a give me. We don't do wrong things anymore. That's what the whole thing should be. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised... Christ will be of no value to you at all. You could add to that. If you let yourselves obey a Sabbath every Saturday, then Christ will be of no value to you at all. Observing special days, he fears that he's wasted his efforts. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. That's why the Seventh-day Adventists, they obey the, um, the, the Sabbath, and then they start having to obey the eating requirements of the Old Testament as well. They start to, rest- you know, a lot of them become vegetarian and all sorts of things like that, and it becomes a law. They have to, if they eat meat, then they're condemned nearly. You know, I don't, I don't know the full brunt of that, but I've heard it. So where does it end? If you obey one part of those older ceremonial-type laws, then you've got to obey the whole thing, and that's burdensome. You've got to start finding priests to sacrifice pigeons to get him to sacrifice pigeons for you when you sin. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, you're under a Jewish yoke. Absolutely. And not only that, like, I reckon I would go broke pretty quick. How much are pigeons these days? And what about lambs? They're pretty expensive. Buy a whole lamb, I'd be thinking, you know, imagine, you know, my Greek father-in-law where are you going with that lamb? Oh, I'll sacrifice it down at the temple. Bring it back here. Sacrifice it in my backyard. <laughs> Put it on the spit. Sorry? Yeah, because you have to tear your clothes and all that sort of thing. Yep. <laughs> Five, one to six. And so again, I, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, is required to bear the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. See? The righteousness. That's what it's all about. They were, that's an old covenant. That's an Old Testament covenant that they were under, and the Jews were under it, not the Gentiles. We can't bring that in to the church. For in Christ Jesus, this is verse 6, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, verse 13, just go down a little bit. This is where he, he, well, the heading here is life by the Spirit. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Uh, Rather serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. See, if you live by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires. If you live by the Spirit, you won't sin. If you start sinning, let that be a wake-up call to you that, hang on, I don't think I'm living by the Spirit. If I'm sinning, that's that's something to, you know, guide us along the way that we go, okay, we're sinning, something's wrong here, what am I going to do? I've got to live by the Spirit. I'm obviously out of the will of God at this moment. 
So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Now that's important to remember, because when you are sinning, you're not under grace, because it's, it, um, the, sinful, it's, uh, the sin nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. So if you're doing a sin, you're not un- in the Spirit. Because the Spirit won't go there, and I keep on bringing that. The Spirit will not do it with you. You are outside of grace. You are outside of, of God at that time. And that must be repented of, whatever it is. Uh, they are in conflict. The sinful nature and the Spirit are in conflict with each other. And why? So that you do not do what you want. What's Alistair Crowley's catchphrase? Who can say it? Do what whole of the Lord. Do what thou wilt. That was the catchphrase that was punned in the early 20th century. And guess what? Every rock band ever since has been preaching. Do what thou wilt. There's, there was a, a video you can watch on um, the amount of songs that have that actual phrase in it. And there was like, I think I remember about 20 to 30 in one video that sang directly, do what thou wilt or, or do what you want. Who knows what uh, master's apprentices, do what you want to do, be what you want to be. You know, that catchphrase is, is, is um, laced through rock history and pop history. Do what you want. You're not to be, uh, well, the Bible says completely the opposite. It, is, it says they're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Complete opposite. And that's so that we can live righteously. We can't do what we want. We've got to live within the parameters of the gospel, within the righteous requirements of the gospel. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, if you're led by the Spirit, how can you be under the law? Because if you're led by the Spirit, the Spirit will tell you what to do. And the Spirit won't let you sin. But if you end up sinning, it's because and as soon as you sin, you grieve the Spirit. The Spirit leaves and you've, you're on your own. That's what it's like. And I used an example. I remember I looked back at, I uploaded part seven not long ago in the uh, New Testament survey. And when you sin and, this, and you grieve the Spirit, the Spirit is not sinning with you. It's the equivalent of saying this. You come up to your, your mate and you say, hey, Let's go over there and do this terrible thing. And your mate says, no, nah, I'm not doing that. And you come on, come on, come with me. We'll go and do this thing. And he says, no, nah, I'm not with you on that. You're on your own. If your mate's not going to go with you, don't think the Holy Spirit will go with you either. <laughs> well, I'm still under grace. No, the Holy Spirit is not with you. And that's why we sin. Because the Holy Spirit's not moving on us at that moment, in that part of our life and that's why we fall into sin because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit you won't sin that's what it comes down to Okay, but if you're led by the Spirit you're not under the law and here we go verse I think it's 19 it says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality impurity and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft and as I always say witchcraft comes from the word pharmakeia which means where we get the word pharmacy from so Included in witchcraft is drug taking. Uh, hatred is an act of the sinful nature. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. 
And I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He warns the Galatians that if you continue to live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's, that's big. That's telling you if you keep doing those things, you, you're not going to go to heaven. You'll go where every other sinner goes because Jesus died for sin and you continue to mix yourself up in it. It's, and I, I used this example many times in the past. What Jesus is like, or what, what this analogy is, is the sea is sin. The sea is sin. And uh, a big ship goes down, and that's the world, and, and everyone's stuck treading water in the sea of sin. And then Jesus comes along in a life raft and pulls you out of the sea of sin and puts you in the life raft. He's now given you life in his name. Getting back in there is like saying, thanks for the ride, Jesus, I feel good again. Now I'm going to dive back in because I reckon I could swim for a while in there. And he'll go, okay, well, I'm not going to force you against your will if you want to dive back in. But if you stay with me, nothing can get you out of here. If you want to stay in my hand... I'll protect you, and nothing will be able to take you out of my hand. And that's like staying in the life raft. But if you dive back into that sea of sin in, with your own will, Jesus will not force you to obey. Who knows that as a, from life experience? Jesus won't force us to obey him. He'll, in, he'll try to um, encourage you. And that's why, guys, you've got to hear this every weekend. You've got to be encouraged by the Spirit of God, to live like this all the time. Amen? Because life is in this teaching. This is, this is salvation. This is doctrinal salvation. And it's important that we get, get grasp it and start to live according to the Spirit and become a holy people and become a royal priesthood. Amen? That's what it's all about. We've got to be uh, examples for Christ. So that people, when they meet us, they realize this guy has been with Jesus. This girl has been with Jesus. But the fruit of the Spirit, and this is the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All the things, that's the fruit. That's what should be in our life. Not the rotten fruit of the other stuff. The good fruit. And we must produce this fruit because Jesus says you will know them by their fruit. If you produce the good fruit, you know, then you know that you're his. So that, let that be a check for yourself. What sort of fruit are you producing in your life? Now understand this too. Sometimes we, we're a good fruit tree and maybe some of our fruit gets infected. Like fruit fly gets in it. You know? A fruit fly can get in and destroy a piece of fruit. So you've got all this beautiful fruit and the next thing you know, it just gets this, these pests get around it and destroy all the fruit. And we don't bear good fruit that year. All the fruit gets eaten up because we didn't protect ourselves. We didn't protect the tree from pests. You know, we've got an orange tree at home. It's prolific, this orange tree, and I've let this black fungus get on it. And it's always been a little bit, but now it's just this year was terrible. It was all over it. And I've been, you saw it, didn't you, Bill? Water and soap. Okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. That's what we do. We pick them and then have to wash them and waste the gallon of water to wash them. But I haven't been diligent with the trees, so the trees got this fungus that I have to deal with now. And 
that's what a Christian life could be like. If, we don't be, if we're not careful, if we don't watch our life and doctrine closely, if we don't watch the way we live and the doctrines we believe, if we don't take care of them, we can start producing bad fruit year in, year out. You know? This is really important. So get that. What is it? Soap. Palm olive, just soap. We need to wash ourselves. Jesus Christ. Good analogy, Bill. You can come and do it at my house. Show me how to do it. Thanks. He always helps me with my trees at home. Straightens them up. We straighten the, straighten the stems because the trees sort of like to grow like this. So we straighten them up and we stake them and, and it's always Bill's job that he comes and does with me. 13 to 25, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. You can't... There, there's no wrong that can be stated against it. You live like that. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Those who, who belong to Christ Jesus, if you belong to Christ Jesus, you have crucified the sinful nature. All right? Is your sinful nature crucified? Make sure it is. You must crucify, crucify in the sense that's your obligation. That's your obligation. Because as easy as you can say, I'm going to go and sin right now, you can also say, I'm not going to sin right now because I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I, the, the fleshly nature in here wants that, but I will deny it. That's why I believe we're called to fasting. Because who knows, to not eat for a, for a day is terribly tormenting on the flesh. And if you, can, if you can resist food for a day, you can resist the sin nature. So it's like discipline, disciplining the body. Make it your slave so that after you've preached to others, you, will not, you yourselves will not be disqualified for the prize. Discipline yourself. By the way, that's going to be my next character trait sermon coming up, discipline. All right, 6, 1 to 2, I'm nearly finished. You've been very patient, thank you. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him or her gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. So carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And that's what we're all about as a church, is carry carrying each other's burdens, restoring them gently. But be careful as we do that. So we've got to do it, you know, carefully. 6, 7 to 10 is do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Listen to this. A man reaps what he sows. You're going to reap what you sow. And it says here, the one who sows to please the sinful nature, if you sow to please your sinful nature... From that nature, guess what you're going to reap? Destruction. Guys, why aren't people preaching this? There are people, I know people who do preach this, but why aren't, isn't every minister of the gospel preaching this? Because if you let people continue to sow to the sinful nature, you could lose your whole congregation, and you yourself will get thrown in there with them for teaching it. If you don't stand against the sin nature, if you don't teach people to resist the sin nature, it says here you will, 
you know, a man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction, eternal destruction. And you know, the only thing really, or one of the, one of the few things that is different about Christianity to every other religion is we have true salvation in the name of Christ. And so we boast salvation in the risen Lord. Risen Lord. But if we mess up the salvational doctrine, we're as good as unsaved like anyone else. We can't mess this up. We've got one life, we've got to get it right. And it says you can't reap, or you can't sow to the sinful nature because you'll reap from that. You'll reap destruction. And people reap destruction in this life. Who knows that? If you continually take drugs and you continually take drugs, you can't resist drugs. You just keeps on taking them week in, week out, month in, month out, and you get on the heart of drugs. Who knows that destroys lives? You reap destruction. If you're a man with a house and a family, eventually you lose your, your family. You eventually you lose your house. You'd lose your car. You lose your job. You lose everything because you just keep on sowing to that sinful nature, sowing to the sinful nature, and the next thing you know, you wake up on some dirty old mattress in the basement somewhere with a needle hanging out your arm. If you sow to the sinful nature, you will reap destruction, but eternally, eternally. So what do we do? We repent. We turn away. We live for Christ and Him alone. Live for Him and Him alone. We crucify the flesh with its lusts and its desires and everything that causes us to want to go that way, we resist it with everything within us. By the power of the Spirit. When I say everything within us, by the power of the Spirit. But it's a, it's, it's a, a partnership. We've got to obey the promptings of the Spirit or else we can't, can't resist it. Does it make sense? This is life and death. This is life and death. We've got to get it right. Amen. So let us not become weary in doing good. It says verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time. So don't become weary in living righteously. Don't become weary in not obeying the sin nature. Don't give in. Because you can become weary holding on to the Spirit. It can get weary. And it's sometimes it's easier to sin. But don't become weary. It says, you know, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Build yourself up. Keep on getting in the prayer closet in the morning and just devoting yourself to Him and saying, build me up, Lord, in the Spirit, and by the power of the Spirit, so that I can fulfill the, the, the promptings of the Spirit today. So that I don't lose my way today. So don't become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If you don't give up, you'll reap a harvest, a wonderful harvest. So therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we do good to all men, but especially to each other. We do even better. You know, we look after each other in every way possible. We make sure that we help each other, encourage one another and teach each other and train each other up and just look after each other and make sure that we make it. Amen. You know, life's short. Before we know it, we'll be in heaven. 
And just make sure you get there. Just make sure that you live this righteous, holy life so that one day you get there. And then, you know, when I get there and all of us get there, we can be up there together and rejoice. We made it. Isn't that going to be amazing? We're here. We don't have to worry about all that stuff anymore, how beautiful it is to be in heaven. And we got through. We got through and we had lots of troubles. We had lots of hardships, but we all bonded together and we built each other up and we kept on going. We didn't give up. We didn't become weary. We encouraged one another. And all the more, as, especially as we got older, <laughs> all the more as we get older, encourage them to hold to the faith. And we get there and that's going to be a beautiful day. Amen. And it's going to be a day I just, I can't wait. I can't wait to get there and say, it's done. We're there. That's what it's about. That's the beautiful thing about Christianity. That's the beauty. That's the glory of the gospel message. Amen. Who wants to be in heaven? Yeah. Who wants this? Like we, while we're here, we don't want to die and leave here. We want to hang around. We want to do what we have to do. But who longs for heaven? Yeah, heaven's the place. That's where Jesus is. That's where you get to see him. It's where it's easy to see him. You don't have to pray for 10 hours to get a glimpse of the face of God or something. You know, you just walk down and knock on his door and there he is. Wouldn't that be great? Where are you off to? I'll just catch up with Jesus. We're having coffee. That's going to be amazing. I'll make that my daily routine. Coffee first thing in the morning with Jesus. And I'm pretty sure there's coffee in heaven. There must be. Anything that we enjoy, our taste buds, because taste is created by God, right? God put these taste buds here. And who likes coffee? Come on, honest, honesty. Who likes coffee? This doesn't sound like the gospel message at the moment, does it? But coffee is, a, 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 to me anyway, is a wonderful taste. And why would he deprive us of that wonderful taste in heaven when he made the, cocoa, uh, the coffee bean? He made the co coffee bean, didn't he? So we get the coffee beans up there and we grind them and cappuccino. Thanks for the Italians making the cappuccino. All right, thank you, Lord. Lord, we just praise your name and we give you glory, Lord, and we thank you that um, you've uh, spoken to us again by the Spirit, and I pray that every word that was spoken today made perfect sense, and I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't quite get the full gist of it, I pray they go and watch the other 11 parts to this series so that uh, they can get the full uh, New Testament survey or as far as we've done till this moment, Lord so that they can see that every book of the Bible is saying the same thing, or in the New Testament is saying the same thing. And Lord, that you are calling us to be a holy people, you're calling us to a righteous life, and that Lord, we must be obedient and live according to your spirit. And so Lord, I just pray that every one of us here will embrace the, this teaching and start to run with it in the name of Jesus. I, I pray you guide us and direct us this week that you will move us in, the, in our devotional life, that you'll get us up to pray, you'll get us up to read the scriptures, you'll move us to, to um, really uh, live according to the Spirit every single day, and that we won't waste our days living contrary to the Spirit, but that we will start to live in, in obedience to the Spirit uh, all the time. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Just bless us as we have fellowship time now, and, and watch over us and protect us and keep us in your will. And keep speaking to us, Lord. Keep moving in us. I pray for about Wednesday coming up that we have an incredible worship, prayer, worship service. Um, and I pray that you really uh, come with power and that we'll have uh, 
such a memorable time as we worship you together. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.